right? So that was his uh, situation. He started his criminal career by robbing drug dealers. Uh, but as most of us know, he wasn't the Robin, Robin Hood of uh, criminals. Uh, he had a fairly diverse criminal career that included convictions for armed robbery, uh, firearms offences, assault and kidnapping. Between the ages of 20 and 38 years, he was only out of jail for 13 months. So that's uh, the story of his life. And most of you know that in order to get out of jail and get a break from jail on one occasion, he got other inmates in the jail to cut off his ears so he could get out to get a, go to a, a hospital outside of prison. So he was a guy with a few, a few problems. He also admitted being a hitman and killing 19 people and making attempts on the lives of 11 other people. So by all accounts, a delightful man that any parent would love to have babysitting their children, right? Chopper Reed, not, not. So I want you to imagine that someone... Uh, produced an illustrated children's storybook about Chopper Reed's life, all right, if you can. Now, you can sort of imagine it, you know, here's Chopper shooting victim number 10 in the head, you know, like you just, you can't, it just defies your imagination. It would just be in so, so bad taste if that happened. But it seems to me that sometimes that's what Christians do when it comes to Zacchaeus. Uh, we turn him into a sort of a, a, a sanitised children's storybook character. So I didn't grow up in a Sunday school, but I remember kids learning a song about Zacchaeus. And it went, it went something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. You know, and sorry, I haven't got a very good voice, but you may... You may have heard that over the years, and it sort of sounds friendly and light and bubbly and, and sort of a catchy little song, right? Zacchaeus, friendly children's storybook character. But I want to say to you that Zacchaeus was most likely a wee little thug, right? That's probably where he sat in the society in which he lived. And you get the clue for that, and Steve helpfully pointed it out. Right at the start of this chapter, verse 2, we're told not only is he a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. Now, as you go through Luke's gospel, tax collectors and sinners are always put in the same category. Now, Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. They always go together because they're regarded exactly the same way. And so when we come to our chief tax collector, what we're being told is he is a chief sinner. Now, none of us today love tax collectors, when the name got mentioned, everyone was, you know, sort of, you know, there's a sort of subtle resistance in Australia to the uh, occupation, but at least it has sort of a level of integrity, right? In this day and age, the first century, tax collecting didn't. It was based on graft and corruption. It was a manipulated, underbelly, semi-criminal sort of activity, and certainly involved being a, a traitor, a bit like the way you might regard someone joining ISIS and their enterprise if they left from Australia. That's sort of the way in which someone would regard Zacchaeus, a traitor to the cause. He isn't a man that you would tell children bedtime stories about. Not this guy. Okay. So let's take a closer look at some of the details. We, we encounter Zacchaeus and... It's clear that by the time you get to the story, he is a lost man, even though he knows exactly where he is, right? He's lost 
but he's clear. So you get to the end of the, the, uh, the section, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, or what was lost. And it's clear that we're talking about lost people like Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is in Jericho. He has a house in Jericho, and he knows enough about the geography of the place to run ahead, anticipate the route that Jesus would go down and climb up a tree so he could see him when he got to that spot. Right, here's a man who knows exactly where he is. So he's lost in what sense? There are probably a whole range of ways in which he had a dysfunctional life. Uh, he was clearly socially isolated and you get the impression that although he was short and couldn't see Jesus, that maybe all the people who knew him were sort of closing ranks so he couldn't get through. There was that sort of idea almost of exclusion of Zacchaeus. Um, regarded as a traitor. I mean, who knew, knew exactly what was, what was going on with Zacchaeus and why he wanted to get close to Jesus. But the point of the story is he's, he's especially lost when it comes to his relationship with God. That's the reality. And you get a clear, clear clue about that in verse 2 uh, because we're told there that he was rich, uh, he was wealthy, he's the the James Packer of the ancient world. Now, we know at least theoretically that, that money can't buy you happiness, although most of us wouldn't mind giving it a shot you know, uh, in life because of the society in which we live, but we know that it doesn't achieve it. We get stories about that all the time. I'm thinking the most recent one that occurred in the paper was, say, Carmichael Hunt, uh, prestigious, you know, well-known, famous footballer who's then hauled across the, uh, the coals because of cocaine taking. I mean, here's a guy who's wealthy, extremely well-regarded, and yet it's not enough, right? He's got lots of time, lots of money, and as far as we can tell, takes drugs with that sort of idea in mind. See, money just doesn't necessarily cut it. But when we look at Zacchaeus, it's not just that sense of, Money doesn't buy you happiness. We're meant to realise as we've read through Luke's Gospel that actually money makes it incredibly hard to have a relationship with God. So if we went back to uh, chapter 18, Jesus encountered a rich young man, uh, a man who comes to Jesus asking about eternal life, about relationship with God. And Jesus says, says to him, what I want you to do is sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the guy goes away sad from Jesus because in the end, uh, his money is more important to him than a relationship with God. Now, at the end of that encounter, this is what Jesus says about rich people. Right? Verse 25 of chapter 18. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is saying is, it's impossible. Zacchaeus is a wealthy man, and unlike the rich man of chapter 18, who was at least good living, Zacchaeus is clearly a renegade sinner, right? rich and sinner, and it's an impossibility for Zacchaeus to have a relationship with God. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, 
And so he runs ahead, he climbs up a tree in order to get a look. Now, I can't remember the last time I climbed a tree. I'm a bit like Steve, right? I've reached an age where I realise there are risks associated with climbing up trees. And one of the risks is to my uh, sense of not only well-being, but sort of honour, you know? Who's that old bloke climbing up a tree? Uh, Zacchaeus really wanted to see Jesus, and that's why he climbs up a tree. And then what we discover is the, the impossible becomes possible with God. Jesus reaches the spot where Zacchaeus is, and he looks up and he says, what would you have expected him to say <laughs> when, when he looks up and sees Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus in the tree? Um, I remember when our kids were younger in primary school, they'd come home over tea, we'd debrief on the day's activities. And those of you who are parents probably did that all over a meal, we'd find out what had gone on. I remember one of our kids coming home one day, we said, how'd it go today? She said, well, all the kids in our class had to read out their poems that they'd made up. Yeah, how did that go? That was fine. Oh, she said, except for Mark. Mark had to read out his poem. The teacher said, Mark, why don't you read out your poem? And Mark said, I don't really want to. The teacher said, you have to read out your poem. And so he got up and he read out his poem. And our daughter said, actually, it was a very good poem. You know? And then the teacher said, how many marks did you get for that, Mark? Naught out of 20, you know, in tears. Why was that, Mark? Because I copied it out of a book. You know, it was that sort of story, you know. It's just public humiliation of this child so he would never do it again. Okay, Zacchaeus, total outcast, right, hated by the whole of the community. Jesus comes along, the crowd are all with him, following him. He looks up into a tree, sees Zacchaeus there, and he obviously knows his name, he knows his pedigree. What are you tempted to do? I reckon you're tempted to keep the crowd on side with you, you know. What's that up a tree? Is that a monkey? Oh, no, it's a kiss. Someone feed him, feed him a banana. You know? I, I don't know what you'd say. You wouldn't have to say anything clever and everyone would be right with you putting this guy down. But that's not what Jesus does. Verse 5. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. But I want you to notice something in particular from this verse. Notice how Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. When you go back to verse 1, you see that Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. Right? He's passing through Jericho and must stay. Passing through doesn't mean must stay. So what's, what's going on here? It's what some of the, um, the biblical scholars call the divine must. Uh, is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, background to this. If you went back to chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, that's where we're told that Jesus first sets his face to go to Jerusalem, where he'll suffer, die, rise from the dead. Okay, and 9 through to Jerusalem, where we're right now in the midst of it, is the, the journey that he's heading through as he goes there. Back in chapter 9, verse 22, Jesus is explaining why he's got to head to Jerusalem. This is what he says. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, 
and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus must go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of humanity and to rise from the dead. He must do that for the salvation of many. And he must stay at Zacchaeus' house so that he can be saved. He must. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. That's why I must stay. And what we see here is the, the impossible becomes possible. A rich man who humbles himself like a little child before Jesus, back in chapter 18, that comes up, the humility of little children. A rich man who brings his money under the lordship of Jesus. Zacchaeus is the camel who goes through the eye of the needle. That's the reality for him. He is a rich man who gets saved. He is the chief sinner who receives mercy. It's extraordinary, really, what Jesus does here. For just a few moments, what I want to do is just try and think through the implications of this for us. And I want to think it through on a couple of levels. One is um, personally what it means for us, but also I want to make a couple of comments about what it means for us as we think about publicly starting a new church here in Victor Harbour in just a couple of weeks' time. Okay, and to think through some of the things that we learn from, from this passage. Okay. What's, what's important for Trinity uh, uh, South Coast? What's, what's the application here? And application can, can sometimes be tricky, can't it, when you come to uh, incidents like this. So I could say to you, uh, after church today, what we're going to do is leave church and we're going to go to the houses of the wealthiest people in the Victor Harbour area. They'll generally be on the coast. And I want you to pick out the mansions, Okay. I want you to go to the door, knock on the door, and when they answer, say, we must stay at your house for lunch today, okay? And just, you know, how do you think that would go, you know? Uh, Obviously, it's not the application from this passage, but, but where do we go when it comes to this passage? Here's a few thoughts. Zacchaeus has an experience, an encounter with Jesus, and in some ways you can think he's got a bit of a rush of blood to the head. You pick up how he responds to the mercy of Jesus. Uh, Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. Pay back four times the amount. A while ago, I got a parking ticket in town. can't remember the amount. I think it was something like $30. So I want you to imagine I go to the spot where you pay the parking fines, my ticket, 30 bucks, and I hand over the ticket and 100 bucks, and I say, keep the change. <laughs> keep the change. Can you imagine ever doing that? Have you got a parking ticket? It's a bit like what's happening with Zacchaeus here. See, when he stands up and he says, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor and four times if I've cheated anyone, that is stacks more than any obligation he ever had in the Old Testament. Way over the top. 
Just, he goes to the nth degree. Didn't Jesus say you'll always have the poor with you? I mean, why would you give half your money to the poor? Wouldn't it be smarter to build a factory and get the poor working? They'll only waste it, won't they? I mean, there are lots of rationales you can think about how to justify hanging onto your money. Or even Jesus. See, I think about people I've been with who've become Christians, right, who've been excited with that sort of new flush of becoming Christians. Jesus is here, the guy's gotten converted, and he says, I'm going to give away half everything I have to poor people, and four, I'm going to repay four times if I've ripped anyone off, right? You know, I'm thinking, why doesn't Jesus say, you know, just, just settle down, Zacchaeus, you know. Just sleep on this, think about it for a couple of days, go and see a financial planner and get some advice, you know. <laughs> just don't, don't do anything stupid. But that isn't what Jesus says. He says, no, 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 salvation has come to this house. You see, this isn't, it isn't a rush of blood to the head. It's a shot of grace to the heart. Where Zacchaeus is just profoundly changed at the core level by the encounter with Jesus and his mercy and his grace towards him. If you ask me what my great desire is for this church, it is that it will be a place full of people who are able to say, salvation has come to my house, and who rejoice in that every day. You've experienced the wonderful kindness of God that is just transforming at the deepest level of who they are. That's my great desire. How will it show in our lives? Um, it may show in the area of money. I became a Christian when I was about 20 years old and I came from a family where my father was a bank manager. Uh, my parents grew up in the Depression back in the 1920s. That's when they were born. They were really careful with money. So our family motto was, you can never have enough money in the bank. <laughs> that was the sort of uh, philosophy of life. And when I became a Christian... I really was profoundly changed. It changed every aspect of my life. But you know, the one I've had to keep working on over the years is the area of my money. How do I allow the gospel of God's grace to touch my heart so that I'm generous with what is entrusted to me? And I've had to deliberately work at that over the years. That may not be your sort of Achilles heel, but it was for me because I want to be transformed by God's grace in that way. It may be uh, money for you. Uh, that is, when you're touched by God's grace, you want to pour your resources into gospel work. Now, just in case you think I'm, I'm getting at you and saying this church needs money, let me make it really clear. If you want to give away half of what you own to something else, that's fine. I don't want you to be distracted by this church startup. What I'm saying is ask the real question. Has the grace of God, has his mercy towards you in Christ profoundly affected that area of your life? Give it away to a good gospel cause somewhere else. Great missions. Uh, there are lots of good things you could do with your money. But I'm asking you the question, has God's grace affected you in the way it's affected Zacchaeus? 
Now, it might not be money. It might be as you think about your time. Uh, it might be as you think about how you can engage in ministry and serving other people. There might be lots of ways in which you could do it. It might be to do with your courage in being upfront about being Christian. As a new church starts up, it's an opportunity to invite people. Has God's grace so overwhelmed me that I just long for other people to hear about him? And that overwhelms the issues of uh, insecurity when it comes to sharing about Jesus. Do you understand the question I'm asking is, if like Zacchaeus you've been bitten by the grace of God, if salvation has come to your house, do you understand the question I'm asking is, where is it showing? How is it producing radical outcomes for you in the profound way we see it working for Zacchaeus. We also, um, it's helpful to see this sort of incident because the bottom line of this incident is that the impossible becomes possible in terms of someone getting saved who never should have. That's the sort of story here. I uh, went out with three guys for a meal around Christmas time Uh, These were three guys that I went through law school with and uh, they're now very successful lawyers. I'm the one who sort of bailed and did something else. And uh, we caught up. We don't catch up that often. And none of these guys are... uh, Yeah, I've had chats with them over the years to do with Jesus, but none of them, you know, are squared away in terms of following Jesus. And I came away from that meal feeling quite um, despondent. You know, it's not hard for me to get Jesus on the agenda. They know what I do for a job, you know, so it's pretty easy from that point of view. But just there was no uh, spark of interest even. Yeah, they showed interest because that's what I do. But no, no evidence of something stirring in their hearts or their minds. And I come away thinking it's, it's over 30 years and I'm still not seeing a change there and feeling like maybe you know it can't happen do you ever feel that way with uh, your family or your friends or people you connect with on a day-by-day basis I actually know some of you and I know some of you do that sense of uh, the hard nut to crack but you know God does the impossible. I became a Christian when I was 20. My mates at the time used to call me Harry, Paul Harrington. Yeah, it's not very clever, and uh, feel free to use it if you don't value your life. But, you know, uh, people used to call me Harry. And when I became a Christian, one of my really good mates was told I'd become a Christian. And he said to the person who told him, well, if Harry can become a Christian, anyone can. You know? <laughs> Isn't But isn't that the reality? That is, if God can show mercy to you and to me, he can do it for anyone. He can change anyone's heart. He can turn anyone's life around in a profound way. It's always a miracle uh, when someone becomes a Christian. 
Uh, it's never sort of a half miracle for some who are good living people and a big miracle for others. It's always an incredible miracle because it's always God. Always God. Keep calling upon God as this church starts up. Keep calling upon him to show mercy even to the people you think would never respond. God is gracious. Final thing I want to say is my my hope and my prayer is this will be a church full of, uh, of Zacchaeuses. Now, by that I mean not only that our hearts are personally touched by the kindness of God, and we know it at that personal level, but a church that's deeply concerned and compassionate for people like Zacchaeus. And we have that concern. As Zacchaeus, he came down out of a tree, he took Jesus home, and looked after him. You, you take, you know, you fed him and cared for him. But I want you to notice how the crowd responds to that action. Verse seven. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Pretty polite word, mutter, you know. But actually, it's uh, grumble, you know, whinge, uh, in the extreme. You know, it's that sort of that's the thing. Mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, that is perfectly understandable because Zacchaeus is the chopper reader of the first century. <laughs> he is. He is a contemptible human being. The sort of guy, if you saw him in the street coming your way, you cross over to the other side because it would be sort of uncomfortable to have that sort of encounter with him. But not Jesus. I've come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was, Jesus was always regarded as a friend of sinners. My great hope is this, this will be a church that's regarded as a friend of sinners. Where people, no matter where they come from, if they connect with people from this church, will feel like in some measure they've encountered Jesus, the Lord of grace and the Lord of mercy, because they see that reflected in the lives and the hearts of the people who are here. People who've experienced grace and therefore want other people to experience grace. People who know that they're only in the kingdom because of God's mercy, a gift from him, nothing they've earned, and therefore want other people to experience that mercy. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. And I want to say to you that this church needs to be a church full of people who own that must. We must seek and save the lost. We must. That's what Jesus came into this world. And if you're a follower of his, that's what you must do. Now, let me tell you what the big danger is the threat to that happening. All of us come from uh, different sorts of backgrounds and those who've got Christian background, diverse Christian backgrounds and often there are issues to do with churches people have come from as they collect together and we all come together with ideas about what should happen. Uh, you know, ideas about how to really have a church together, you know, what the music should be like, what the format should be like, uh, how formal or informal it should be, how structured or unstructured it should be. 
uh, whether we like guitars and Duncan, we just wish he'd learn how to play something useful like a piano or, you know, like there are all sorts of things that people come into an organisation like this, a new church, all sorts of preferences about the way we do stuff that we would like to see on the agenda. And when that happens, it's so easy to get deflected and <laughs> deflected into stuff that does not matter, to be quite honest. Easy to grumble. Uh, easy to be distracted. But friends, you read through a passage like this and the vision for a people of God who know Jesus is really clear. Jesus single-mindedly went to Jerusalem to die on a cross rise from the dead so that people could have relationship with God. He came to save the helpless and the hopeless, uh, sinners like Zacchaeus and me and you. That's exactly why I did it. So as a church, what we want to do is celebrate that salvation and have a single-minded determination that we will not be deflected by things that do not matter, but we will make sure that we are preoccupied with what does matter, preoccupied with what brought Jesus into this world and concerned that others hear it and have the opportunity to respond to it. That's, uh, that's my great hope. I think this is a passage that takes us right to the heart of um, the beat for a church the thing that causes us to exist and the thing that unites us together, the gospel of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Let's pray that that'll, that'll be the reality we experience. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing mercy and grace towards us in your son. We see that demonstrated so powerfully here with Zacchaeus. It, it's almost the peak of your gracious arm extending to the lost and the outsider. Father, we pray that we will delight in that grace and mercy you've shown us. If, if uh, there are some of us here today who haven't experienced that, we will want to know that grace and mercy, long for it. And Father, we ask that as a church, we'll be known in this community here as a people like Jesus who are friends uh, of the sinner, friends of those who are outsiders, and who care for them, who are humbly walking before you, knowing that we're not better, we're just forgiven. And Father, we pray that you'll, you'll go before us, that you'll do the impossible, that you'll change hearts and minds, and that when it happens, we'll give you great thanks and glorify your name. Father, we ask it in the name of your gracious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.